Well, last week we were 13 years old, and so today we begin our, into our full 13th year, approaching our 14th year of ministry. And so it gave me an opportunity to reflect deeply on all that we've seen God do among a group of people that aren't perfect, but our hearts have been softened to what he wants to do in our lives and through us. And I want to take you to a, a time period that for some of you, you were here for that. And I want to kind of pull back the curtains for just a moment and talk with you before you grab your message notes. Um, our church was just over a year old. Uh, we were meeting in a, in a theater, and uh, we had come out uh, of the gates kind of barnstorming. I and mean, we, we, we were rolling, rocking and rolling. And by the end of the first year, we were somewhere at about the 400 mark, and um, we were blown away. So the 100 or so people who helped make this church happen, there were 100 adults who committed to give one year of time and money and prayer to make this church happen. Um, we were blown away by what God was doing, and we were celebrating and exciting, uh, excited, and there was a bit of a buzz in the air, and it lingered all year long. But behind closed doors, the staff and I were having a different kind of conversation. Here was our conversation. Hey, without like focusing on the negative, why is it we're consistently stuck at about 400 people? Is this all God wants to do? And if it's all God wants to do, fine. But if it's not all God wants to do, what do we do? Because we're working hard, can't give much more time. When we got great people, people aren't the problem. What's going on? And so we sat around and we whiteboarded and we prayed and we did all we knew to do, but no matter how much work we put into it, no matter how much time we put into it, we weren't able to kind of break through that barrier. And our hearts was not to have a massive church. That wasn't our heart. Our heart, though, was to reach all the people that God would send us. And so one day, in one of those conversations, somebody said, I wonder if there's some help we could get from somebody outside the group. Hmm. You mean us sitting around coming up with our own ideas again for the 10th time might not be any more productive than it's been the last 10 times and perhaps we need a new stream of information? Well, at first, that didn't sound like a great idea to me because after all, we're working hard, we're smart, we're good people, we pray, that should be enough. Turns out it wasn't enough. And in fact, what we did was we committed that we'd go find some people who had already been in this situation. We'd learn from them what they did to get over the situation. And we'd try to put in place some of those same behaviors and values in our organization, in our church, in hopes that God would use our efforts and bring people and we'd be able to serve them and help them connect with Jesus and grow. So practically what that looked like was somebody needed to go get some training. And since I wore the, the, the senior leader hat, that was me. And I became front and center with the reality that still eats my lunch consistently. And that is as the leader, if you're the leader, so like in my home, I'm the parent, right? So I'm the leader and here I'm the pastor, I'm the leader. If you're the leader, it's your job to set the temperature and set the direction and run after the things that are good for the people you're leading. That's how you serve people and that's how you serve things. So in my home, I have to do that. If I hit a wall in my home, I have to go find the solutions and pray through them and become the person God wants me to be so that my family can become all it needs to be. That's just what it means to be a leader. If you don't do that, you're not a leader. 
And so I had to go get some training. The challenge was we didn't have a lot of money in our budget. And I remember sitting down with my wife saying, honey, it's my dream to do this church well. I, I'm going to have to go get some training. We don't have any money. And um, I'd like to take some money from our budget to go do that. And she's like, that's great. That's awesome. Jill's always had a heart to do that. The problem was we didn't have any money to do it. And training's expensive. But I had a sweet little motorcycle sitting in my driveway. Like a really sweet motorcycle. And if I start talking about this long enough, I'm going to cry on you. And we decided we would sell that motorcycle. And uh, bottom line is I would sell that motorcycle. And I used that to go get some training. And here's what happened. I sat in a room with a bunch of very smart people, opened my heart, became teachable. And God used that environment to grow us so that we as a church kind of bounded through the 400 mark. And today, 13 years later, we sit somewhere just south of 700 people on a weekend, but somewhere just south of 1,000 people in a month who call us home. Now, let me tell you why I share that story. I'm going to do for you today what was done for me in one of those sessions. It changed my life. That's not an overstatement. That's not preacher hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. It changed my life. When I first heard it, it seemed so simple and so easy that the full impact of what I was learning in one of those sessions didn't hit me completely. I dismissed it. Many of you will hear what I want to talk with you about today, and because you've already heard something like this before, because it seems so simple, you will dismiss what I'm saying. You will. A couple of you, you'll actually take to heart, this will be the 10th or the 50th or the second time you've heard this, but in this conversation, at the end of it, you will say to yourselves, I'm actually going to not just hear an idea, I'm actually going to do something with it. And when you do, it will literally change your life. So let me create for you one of those sessions where I was desperate to move our church forward and I was looking answers for all of us, but God gave me a gift for me. To go get the training, one of the reasons it was so expensive, I had to go to a, a different city. And so I was flying somewhere uh, every month, staying a couple days, sitting in a room, paying a guy to teach me. And, you know, there's food expense, tra airline tickets, rental car, the whole bit. And so I'm not, I'm not like really loving it because I'm pretty cheap at, at the core. Like I like nice stuff, but I can't afford all the nice stuff I like. So I buy old stuff, used stuff that's nice. I take my time. And so just spending that kind of money was, I'm already like strike one. Here was strike two though. Strike two was, I was in a very busy season in my life. I was in over my head. I was treading water. And for a lot of folks, it looked beautiful. They looked at me, they looked at us, and it was like a duck on the pond, going across the water on the edge of the woods, it looked so beautiful and serene on the surface. But underneath, if you could see that duck swimming, you know what it looked like? That was me. So I'm having it here, and I'm having it at home. We have four kids. My wife's a career person, and she can't quit, good Lord. I mean, we have a lifestyle. We have expectations. I'd like to retire someday. I love you, but I don't want to love you at the same rate when I'm 65. I mean, I, I'll try. I just want to be around you. I mean, I, we have goals, you know, and we like stuff. So, like, I'm in it. 
and all that. So it's like strike one, strike two. But I'm coming face to face with the fact that my family dynamic is shifting. And the kind of parenting I had done up to that point where I could pretty much solve every problem by saying, hey, guys, let's go get ice cream. That, by the way, that works for a long time. It really does. Like you get everybody in the car and you go get ice cream. Well, it wasn't working anymore. Right? And I'm pulled and I feel like I don't have time to invest. And I go to this session and I've got pen in hand. I'm sitting on the front row. If you go to a conference with me, you'll discover I'm front row Ben. Because if I'm paying top dollar to be at a conference, we're not sitting in the back. So we sit on the front row, baby, as a church. You know, I mean, this is true. Because so I've got my pen and, I, and I'm like, give me the solution. I'm paying you. Give me the answer. Let's go. I'm ready. And he starts talking about time management. Time management. And I'm doing exactly what you're doing because you already know that's what I'm going to talk with you about today. Like when I said it, you're like, and you're like, then you let out saying this is going to change my life. It will change your life. He starts talking about time management and he leads out, my coach leads out with this question. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? What do you want to be great at? And I was there because I wanted to not be the limiter in our church. I wanted to, power, I didn't want to be the limiter in our home. I didn't want to be the one that kept us from doing what God called us to do financially, relationally, in our parenting, in our family. I'm there. I want to be great at that. I don't want to be average. I want to be great. I don't want to be great at everything. Like There was a time in my life when I wanted to be a great piano player. I just never took a single lesson. And I gave up the goal of being a great piano player. It didn't really bother me at all, right? I wanted, though, to be a great dad. I wanted to press into what it might mean to make great impact in ministry. And here he is talking about time management. When I had thought about time management up to that point, here's largely the way it worked for me. What's all the stuff I have to do so that I don't embarrass myself, my family, my church, or God too much? What's the bare minimum stuff I have to do so I don't get in trouble if I don't do it? So my month would start like this with a blank calendar. What are the number of meetings I need to go to, the number of conversations I need to have, the number of environments I need to be in so that the bare minimum realities don't embarrass me, my family, or God, or the church? So I got to like show up here on a Sunday morning because that'd be bad if I didn't, didn't tell anybody. So that goes in. Got to show up to that meeting. I got staff meeting on Tuesday. Got to show up to that. I mean, if I don't, I'm going to get a phone call. Kids have to be at school at a certain time. I got to do that. Um, if we don't, we're going to get a call from the truant officer, right? So there are certain things you have to do. I got to get up. I got to shave and shower, certain regularity. Um, that, that, you know, to some degree goes on the count. And the more complex my life would get, the harder it was to find space to put all the stuff in it. Here I am sitting in the room going, I got to bust through some barriers in my personal life and my own development. I got to bust through some, fam some family dynamics. You got to bust through some church dynamics. And here you are, I'm paying you hundreds of dollars to talk to me about time management. I know how to manage time. I know how to do that well. But it was the question he led with that got my attention. Who do you want to become? 
And with that, I'd like you to grab out your sermon notes and open up to the middle section. They look like this. And we're going to take some, uh, some actions today. We're going to fill in a few blanks. We're going to have an honest conversation. And I want to keep this question in front of you the whole time. At this point in your life, I can't handle the past, but at this point in your life, who do you want to become? And believe it or not, how you answer that question mechanically, I'm not talking about esoterically, I'm not talking about philosophically, but mechanically, how you answer the question, who do you want to become, is largely a function of how you manage one of God's greatest gifts to you, your time. One of the holiest and most spiritual conversations you can have with yourself and with your God is the question, God, how do you want me to manage the 24 hours a day you give me? How do you want me to manage and lead myself through the seven days a week you give me? God, what do you want me to do with the 28, 29, 30, or 31 days a month that you give me? God, what do you want to do with the 365 and one-fourth, just slightly smaller than that, a few seconds shorter than that, days a year you give me? What do you want me to do with them? When you begin to answer that question, it puts you really close to answering the question, how do I become who I want to become? How do I become who I want to become? And this is the second week of our family series. And one of the most consistent things I hear from families, moms, dads, and kids, we are so, do you know how to fill in the blank? Busy. We're so busy. And I get it. There are a lot of demands. I live it. I'm not detached from this. Pastors are susceptible to busyness just like everybody else is. And in the suburbs, it's even more so. Typically two-income families with kids. I don't even know how you do that. That's a bad plan to begin with. That's the way at least I feel. You're starting off behind the eight ball. How do you do it? Let me tell you how you don't do it. You don't do what I was doing. Just fill your life and your calendar, your real one, which I was using, or some imaginary one you keep in your head. You don't fill it just with the obligations that if you didn't do them would bring you incredible amounts of pain or embarrassment. You can't do that. You got to do something different. You have to start asking the question, how do I steward this time? How do I manage this time? Because how I do so will have the biggest impact on who I'm becoming than any other dynamic in my life. Now, when you're a kid, kid, like a teenager, I'd say to you the biggest dynamic is the environment you're around, the people you hang around with. And that's still true for adults. But when you're an adult, full on, and you got responsibility, and you start realizing your life is complex, and you start using the busy word, and there are demands on you, how you manage your time, I believe, is the holiest and one of the most spiritual things you can do. And yet, because it often doesn't give us warm fuzzies, and many times it doesn't feel urgent until we're in the middle of a crisis, and when the crisis is passed, so does our motivation to change, because of those dynamics, it doesn't feel all that important. 
So let me give you the first blank. My schedule is far less about what I have to get done and much more about who I want to become. My schedule is far less about what I have to get done and much more about who I want to become. This is an incredibly biblical idea. But believe it or not, there are very few worship songs about it. I I haven't heard many messages about it. I'm a little nervous to preach it today because some of you came in here today and you got emotional needs and I'm not going to stroke that issue today. I, I don't know. Now, if you're feeling overwhelmed and busy, you're in the right place so long as you're really willing to be open and teachable. Like if you don't just want the tension removed, but you want to change the environment, change yourself, this is a gift today. But if you're like overwhelmed with other stuff, you might be wondering, why waste time with this? We all know time is important. I'm not talking about how important time is. I'm asking you at this point in your life, who do you want to become? Are you done? Because if you're done developing and growing, this is a waste of time. Don't get up and leave. That'll embarrass me or hurt my feelings. But it's a waste of time. Now, if, if you're not done, if you aren't fully put together, if there's still more room for you to grow and change and become more like Christ and get all the life that God has for you, who you want to become is one of the most important questions you can ask. Dads, do you want to be a better dad? Like even if your kids are older, maybe even out of the house, how do you be a dad? Part of the way you answer the question of how to be a better dad is how are you going to manage your calendar to put the value of being a good dad in ink on your calendar. As a pastor, if I can be candid with my, converse, with my congregation for just a moment, how you manage your time will have as much as anything else to do with the kind of spiritual growth you experience. How you manage your time. Time is a gift that God has given to every one of us. You still have the gift of time because you're still breathing. You can look at your watch. You can look at your cell phone and you can get a sense of what time it is. But those things don't tell you what to do with your time. That's a conversation you have to have with your own self, with your God. And I would suggest you would have it with wise people around you who have done the kinds of things you want to do with your life. See how they do it. I've never felt in full command of my time, never. There's always more that I can squeeze in. And there was a day that would almost depress me. It doesn't depress me anymore. I don't feel overwhelmed by it emotionally very often anymore. And if I get into a season where I'm feeling that way, I have the tools, I'm gonna share some of them with you today, how to get a hold of those emotions and make now my calendar a slave to who I want to become versus I'm a slave to the calendar demands in front of me. What I thought was going to be the most boring wastes of time and money in all of my years as an adult became for me one of the greatest gifts I was ever given. As I sat in that room answering the question, who do I want to become and how will that show up on my calendar? Because we were sitting in a room with a bunch of pastors, there were a handful of passages we looked at. So look at Ephesians 5.15. Look at Paul's words to this church that he loved. Be very careful then. How you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And here's our key phrase. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's how it reads in the NIV. If you were to read this in the good old King James that I memorized, it would talk, it would use this phrase, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. How do you make the most of the time that you have? Therefore, he says, don't be foolish. Don't, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And I think this is apropos. Like, don't be so overwhelmed you just want to medicate yourself. Don't do it. Be filled with God's Spirit. And let God help you deal with the tensions that the demands of your time create in your life. You know, and you don't have to rush home for beer 30. Now you can. I mean, it's not necessarily a sin. But medicating away the tension doesn't deal with the tension. And it doesn't cause you to become the person that deep down you want to become. Be filled with the Spirit. And then look at this. Look at what he says. Your time can be filled with. Wouldn't this just sound wonderful? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. When my family is busy and we're running around, all six of us, like chickens with our heads cut off, there are not songs, hymns, and spiritual engagements in our home. That's not what's happening. You want, I, I wouldn't do this because I, sometimes I, I feel like I put my family out there too much anyway. But if we could, like, hook up a camera, you'd be surprised how ungodly and unspiritual, especially when we're busy, it sounds like in our home when I'm banging on the door going, I told you to get out of the bathroom ten minutes ago. we got to go. We're going to be late. Right? But the picture painted here is if we could redeem the time, if we wouldn't medicate away the tension, if we'd be led by the Spirit there could be a different atmosphere in our homes, in our lives. That's available to you. You might have to do something with what you're hearing. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Job 9.25. <laughs> I felt this. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Have you ever had any of those? I'm so Busy, Ecclesiastes, it's better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. And then James 4. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town and stay there a year. We'll do business there and we'll make a profit. How do you know what your life's going to be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's there for a little while. Then it's gone. And the Bible is replete with conversation about the preciousness of time. And I want today to help you take that away from a task to manage to understanding what's really going on there. You are using your time to paint a picture, a pathway, a course that's taking you to who you're becoming. That's what your time is doing with your life. That's why when people are on their deathbed, they want a little more time to do the things that as they reflect on their life, they think didn't get the time it deserved. They don't talk about typically getting more money. They don't typically talk about a, you know, a bigger house. They typically talk about core value issues that at that point in life, they would like to have done better with. 
And that can be all of us in the room. We can have those conversations then, or in a much healthier way, we can be led by the Spirit, and you can have that conversation with you, your God, and a few trusted people now. You'll be better for it. So what does God then say about time management? Let me give you a couple things, and then I want to share with you a handful of examples. Number one, it's a mark of spiritual maturity. People who are in command of their calendar versus being driven by the urgent, it's a mark of maturity. You're beginning to see the life through the lens that the Spirit of God gives you. The urgent doesn't often encourage you to think about what's important. It just says now. And if you're not careful, your calendar will get filled up with all the now kinds of demands. But there's a way, and it doesn't take a whole lot of effort. You just have to stay at it a little bit of effort every day or so. There's a way to get ahead of it and not be so driven. It's an act of spiritual maturity. Ephesians again. Live life with a due sense of responsibility. This is the same verse from a different version. Not as one who does not know the meaning of life, but as those who do make the best use of your time. Number two, it's an act of stewardship. 2 Corinthians 4. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now you've been given a trust by God with time. It's on loan to you. Your life is on loan to you from God. You're a manager of it, and there's a trust there. It's a stewardship issue. And that's not just for executive types with demanding schedule. It's for moms with little kids in their homes and dads who are trying to manage how do I, you know, appropriately support my wife, be there for my kids, and have a career that's forward-leaning and maybe a little time left over for some recreation. How do I do all that? Well, that becomes a stewardship issue. There's a management issue. And guess who is the manager in charge of the time God gave to you? You are. Not your boss. Not your kids. Not your spouse. Not your girlfriend. Not your job. You are the manager in charge of your 24 hours a day. Other people have demands on you, but here's something you'll find out about your calendar. you find out about it in your dreams. you find out about it in your wallet as well. If you don't have goals for your time, there are plenty of people who would be glad to give you goals for your time. If you don't have a dream for your life, there are plenty of people who would love to give you a dream for your life. If you don't have a goal with your money, there are plenty of people that would like to give you a goal for your money. Don't let them. God looks at you and says, it's your money, let's manage it well. Here are some principles in my book, how to do that. God looks at you and says, it's your time, I gave it to you. Let's look at some principles in my book on how to do that. It's the dream of your life. You and I can do it together. Let me give you some principles on how to do that. Nobody has to commandeer your stuff, but we live in a world where people will. Don't let them. Don't let them. And then don't let just the carelessness of life slip away all the opportunity available in your time. The stewardship issue. Number three, God says this stuff can actually be learned. You can learn how to do this. So if you weren't raised in a family that did this well, or perhaps your family was so simple in a simpler time, it wasn't required. It doesn't mean that somehow you can't do it. You just have to learn how. Now I'm going to share with you a very practical way to do that, at least to begin it. You have to learn how to do it. So in Psalm 
chapter 90, verse 1, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Lord, teach me how to number my days. Teach me. Teach me. By the way, that's a really good phrase. Lord, teach me. I'm finding more than at any season in my life, I have to be surrounded by teachable people. And if I don't have teachable people in my inner circle, I have to go to a different circle or get them out of my circle. I can't afford at this season of my life to not be around teachable people who are in my life as peers. I can have them as projects all day long, but they can't be peers. Teachability is essential to any type of quality and significance in life. And in those seasons in my life when I wasn't very teachable, I look back on them and I regret them. They cost me more than I realized. And guess who's responsible to be teachable, to have an open and teachable heart? I was talking to a friend this week, and he used this phrase. It's code in our friendship. He said, Ben, I've heard you talk for a few minutes. Let me hold up a mirror for a few seconds and tell you what I heard. And so in our, in our friendship, that means put on your seatbelt, here it comes. Right? But we have deep roots. That's a gift. What he's saying to me, Ben, are you ready? Because you don't have to agree with me, but you probably want to listen. And there are a lot of times I don't agree with him. But I listen. We have that kind of relationship. So teach me, Lord. Teach me how to number my days. And number four then, it accurately reflects your true priorities and values. According to the Bible, your calendar, if you were to look at it for the last 12 months, you would be able to discern your actual values. What's really important to you, not what you say is important. So Matthew 6, 33, it's a life verse for me. It's often on the bottom of every cor uh, most correspondence that I write. Seek first God's kingdom. This is about priority. It's about value. What should you do with your time? I'm gonna encourage you to answer the question, what do I want to become? And for those of you that are following Jesus, I want to give you another follow-up question. It relates to the phrase, seek first the kingdom of God. What would, what would a God-first calendar look like in your life? What would a God-first calendar look like in your life? If God was first in your calendar, what would it look like? Let me share with you a couple stories. Recently, I heard the story about a man who was working through some of these issues that we're talking about today. And he went up to his pastor at the end of a service and said this phrase, man, I'm really glad I came today. It was so meaningful to be here today. The message, it was like an error, right? It was just what I needed. I'm so glad I was here today. I, I've had those experiences. Or like I show up in an environment and I was like, oh God, I'm so glad I did this today. It's like it was forming you. Lord, you filled my bucket. Like I got the, the nugget I needed. I got direction. I was reminded. I'm not, I, I have been there. You ever been there? It's like I'm so glad I did the thing today. So this pastor that I know, talking to this guy, he's, he's a little bit of a straight shooter. And so normally, like, if you come to me and say, I'm so glad I was here today, Pastor, your words meant a lot to me. And we're, we're in a situation where folks are relatively encouraging here, and I get to hear that a lot. That's so good. Typically, I just kind of, you know, oh, thanks, man. Thank you. I'm so glad. Hey, not, not my buddy. 
Not, not, not the guy I know. He looks at the guy and he says, whoa, wait a minute. Do you mean to imply that this morning rolled around and you pulled out a coin off of your nightstand and kind of flipped it to decide whether or not you were going to come to church? And it happened to land on heads, which was the go to church side. So you just kind of got up and went to church. Do you mean to tell me that you don't really have it already predetermined that every Sunday at 10 o'clock, that's when their church started, every Sunday at 10 o'clock, it's already a foregone conclusion. I go to church because that's what people who follow Jesus do. Are you trying to imply that this is the decision you make on Sunday morning in the fog after a full weekend in work? In that moment, you're trying to decide if church is a priority for you? Now, at that moment, I bet that guy was thinking, I'm not so glad I came today. <laughs> and while that might seem stark, that's a gift. That's a mirror. Now, I'm not sure that's what that guy was implying, but the point is valid. There are certain things that if you want to become certain kinds of people, in this case, if you want to become a vibrant follower of Jesus, there are certain things that have to show up on your calendar as a priority, or the goal doesn't happen. In, in, in my marriage, I, I want to be a really good husband. I want to do that because, A, I, my dad was a good husband. I, like I, there's a legacy i got to continue. We're a couple generations deep. His dad was a horrible husband. His dad was a horrible father. And my dad said, I'm going to change that. And I know those stories. That's my heritage. I don't want to stop the momentum. And the cards my dad was dealt and how he played his hand, God did beautiful things with it. And I'm like, man, I got a legacy. I, 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 my wife's dad was a good dad. But not just for that. I talked to a lot of dads. I got to talk to a lot of dads. And some of them aren't such good dads. When I taught high school, I talked to a lot of kids. And they made it clear, in some ways their dads were good, and in other ways they were not good. And I got enough information to know, I don't want that, I want this instead. And so we're into this church plant, I'm sitting in that room hearing stories about the reality of the time management that's my responsibility, not yours. You don't have to make my life less demanding. I have to have a filter by which I let your demands into my life. I'm hearing all this stuff. And I'm thinking about not our church in that moment. I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about my wife. About the fact that as I get busy, our relationship, I don't intend for it to, but it takes a back seat. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to go two, three, four years and I wake up and look in the mirror, uh, you know, at myself and realize I'm not enjoying life. I roll over and look in bed and look at her and realize I don't enjoy, my, I don't want that. I know what happens. I don't want that to happen. And so on my little note-taking thing, I, I'm going to make scheduled time for my wife in the same way that I'll make a scheduled appointment for somebody from church. Now, I had a, up to that point a mistaken notion that for it to really be romantic, it had to be spontaneous. How stupid that is. The most romantic thing I can do for my wife is to make sure that she shows up in my calendar planning that she gets all the attention that a stranger would get on my calendar if they wanted to have lunch with me. She gets at least that. And so for us, monthly, 
date nights. That's not all I have to do. But on my calendar, and on the calendar we work with, there's regularly scheduled time for us to get away. We don't even talk about it anymore. It's just on the calendar. I found when it's on the calendar, things tend to happen. It's rare for me to just blow off my calendar. Right? I'm way past that. I'm not in college anymore. I don't feel like going to school today. I don't do that anymore. You know, I'm an adult. So it's just, it goes on. And guess who was responsible to do that? She and me. Because that's what we're working on. In this, in this group, these pastors were talking about the struggle of trying to do church and keep family going. And you don't know this necessarily, but my promise to God was, God, I'll give everything I've got to this church. My last penny, my last minute. But don't make me sacrifice my family. I don't want to have one of those stories of the church kids, you know, where the pastor's kids are the worst. I don't want one of those stories. Like, I love you. Take this in the spirit I mean it. But if I have to choose whether my family goes to heaven and has their dad or the church goes to heaven and has a pastor, I'll see y'all some point in the future, you know, in eternity. We'll let God sort it out. I love you. You're just not worth sacrificing my family for. Now, how do I make sure that demands of my job and my ego that gets stroked by succeeding as a professional, that's true for a lot of men, how do I make sure that you don't take priority over my family? It's very simple. I got a tool called month at a glance calendar. I got a pen. And before you fill up my calendar, my family goes on my calendar. Which means when somebody from the church says, can we get together at this time? I go, no, I have an appointment. Fridays are my day off. There was a season in my life when I didn't take my day off. And I prided myself on working 60, 65 hours a week. That's stupid, by the way. It is. I was exhausted. And then what that meant is where I showed up in other environments, I wasn't even fully present. So now on Fridays, for me, it's about 10 a.m. till about 7 p.m. on Saturday, 10 a.m., I'm largely unavailable. Now, every once in a while something will happen. Why do I do that? I want to recharge and be available for my family. And I love you, but I'm not making an appointment with you then. Because here's the thing about church people. Church people are fickle. If I do the wrong thing, you're out of here. You'll go to Crossroads. You'll go somewhere else. You will. I know you will. And I'll be fine with it, but I can't have my kids do that to me. I can't have my wife do that to me. And so my calendar allows me to put my values in place. And I get to then become. One pastor said, as we were talking in that group, he said, let me, let me, let me tell you something powerful that happened. Years ago, my mentor pulled me inside and said, hey, I'm going to help you have meaningful conversations with your family. And he said that, that his mentor expressed to him how important it would be at certain seasons of their kids' development to have intentional conversations. And I listened, man. I, I got my pen, and I'm, I realized about an hour into this session I thought was going to be a dud because I went there to get filled up emotionally and get the secret to leadership. I realized about an hour in, I'm getting gold. Like, this is, this is pay dirt. And I'm taking all kinds of notes. And as he's talking, I'm finding myself writing, schedule time with your kids one-on-one, -on -one, just one-on-one, -on -one, a few times through their life. Make it the highest priority. 
and have some meaningful conversations. So I went out and found a few books on that and put on my student hat and said, God, I don't do this naturally. I want to do this better. Let me learn how to do this. So I started taking my kids when they were about 10 years old on a trip, one-on-one, to have some very important conversations about the way their bodies would change and what the world would offer and what God's values were. And like when I put my head down on my pillow at night, I am not always a great dad, but I was a great dad in those moments. I was a great dad in those moments. I took my daughter when she was 16 on a dad-daughter trip and we spent some money and let her set the schedule and I peppered her with conversation in the course of that life, just the two of us together. Now, I haven't always been a great dad, but I was a great dad in that moment. And I think that's what I'm trying to tell you, that you can put on a real calendar, values that help you become who you want to become. And our church staff cycle every week, two hours a week are spent on development. We're busy. But if we don't keep developing, we get stale. And working with stale church people is not fun. God's work is forward and moving and dynamic. And when people aren't growing and open, it's just hard. So we said, if it's really important, let's just make it a value on the calendar. And the staff knows you don't schedule something at 1030 on Tuesday mornings because for an hour, we're going to talk about development issues that pastors and church leaders need to be sensitive to. Are we perfect? No, no. Are we better a year later for having that kind of clarity? Absolutely. I want to share with you one more, and to do that, i got to grab something down here. There's another dynamic that I want to share with you that has just been crystal clear to me for the last three years. It's the value of the chair. And I shared this with you in our last message series, but I don't think all the learning is done, and so I'm going to beat this drum just a little bit more. There's a chair in my bedroom that Jill and I picked up at a furniture store, and she's a great shopper, and it had a few holes in it, even though it was new. And so she paid just a few bucks for it and took it to a fabric shop, and they fixed it, and that's my chair. In my bedroom, a little table right beside me, and that's where almost every day I sit, and I do one thing. It's on my calendar. I open the pages of God's Word, and I know that more than anything else, the greatest gift I can give my family, this church, and every endeavor I give myself to, the greatest gift I can give them is a healthy, spiritually vibrant bend. There isn't anything I have to offer you better than that. And if that's not in place, the best things I try to give you are wasted or half-baked at best. And in my 15 minutes a day, and if for some reason I can't do it consistently, then for me, it happens Saturday morning, I catch up. That's why I say, you know, even on my days off, I do a little bit of work here and there. The catch-up work on my values mostly not catch up on busy work. But that's why I ask God to be my teacher, to make me a true disciple, 
And it's just 15 minutes a day that I open the pages of the Bible and I ask God to not give me a message for you, but to give me a message for me. Because it's really dangerous when pastors take the Bible and they get material and then they give it out. They take material and they give it out. It's really dangerous when a small group teacher takes material and gives it out. It's really easy to give great material. And with the slot of resources that are available online, I could, if I wanted to, just download a handful of sermons a week, pick the best of those materials and bring it to you and maybe impress you that I was giving you God's word. In some real sense, I could be doing that. That's not my value. I don't want to impress you. I want God's word to change all of us. And for that to happen, I can't have a Bible sit on a shelf. I can't. I have to open it. And I have to sit there and I have to say, God, not your material out to the crowd. I have to go, God, your material in here, in here, in here. In the days I've enjoyed church the best, it's when I had a group of people around me saying, God, teach us. We want to live out of the overflow of what you're doing in our lives. When I do that, you can ask my wife. She's over here at the end of the service. She'll be out there. You can ask her if I'm lying to you. But when I do that, I'm a better husband. Because I'll be reading and without even knowing it, without even really intentionally planning it, I'm just in my plan. There'll be a verse and it'll convict me. And I'll go to my wife and I'll say, Ask her if I do this. Honey, I, I need to apologize to you. I'm, I'm not bringing what I'm supposed to bring. Would you forgive me? Would you pray for me? That makes me a better husband. I'm not always a great husband. But there are days consistently. I'm a great husband. And they show up on my calendar. There are days I'm not a good pastor. But I sit with God's word open consistently and I say, God, would you teach me? I, I, I want the word of God, the power of the spirit to be at work in our congregation. And I know that I can be the cap to that and I don't want to be the cap. So would you, God, would you teach me? I don't want to dispense information. I'm not a teacher of information. I'm a traveler. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a disciple who also happens to be the pastor. I don't want to impress you. I want you to change and become more like Jesus. That's why I can't let you get away with everything you want to get away with. When you come in here, i got to talk about sin from time to time. And people get frustrated and angry. And Okay. There was a day that it used to eat my lunch. But when I'm sitting with God, what I found is I get a strength that allows me to put up with a lot of dissonance in my life. I found that I'm actually open to feedback that people have more when I'm in God's word. I just want to ask you a question. Who do you want to become? And is a disciple of Jesus near the top of your list? If it isn't, I want to encourage you to bump it up. If you're a leader in this church and becoming a better disciple of Jesus is not in the top of the, the list, would you do us all a favor? Would you either make it near the top of your list or would you find a great excuse to resign your leadership position? We can't afford you. 
You can't afford me as a pastor, even if I were free, if I didn't want to become a better follower of Jesus. If I go three, four, six months and I don't engage God's word, you may not know it, but eventually you're going to know it. You may not know that that's it, but there will be stuff. And you know how I make sure I do it? And not that I'm awesome. I'm not awesome. I'm not all that disciplined. I mean, my goodness, look at the extra 40 pounds I'm carrying. 40. Would you give me 40? (laughs) Clearly, I'm not the most disciplined man in the world. But I am with this. I am with this. And you could be too. Get a chair. Mark out your first 15 minutes. Lose 15 minutes sleep if you have to. Do it day in, day out. In a year, do it 300 times. Give yourself 65 where you don't. And ask yourself in a year if you're better for it. 15 minutes in the chair. A handful of minutes looking at an actual calendar and making sure that your family falls on your calendar. I'm telling you, in a year, it will change your life. Let me give you the last few blanks to fill in and then we'll take our steps together. Does your calendar reflect God first priorities? Who do you want to become? And what would a God first calendar look like in your life? Number one, where does Jesus' values show up in your life? Number one, where does the Jesus value of church show up on your monthly calendar? And listen, if for whatever reason this is not your church, I love you enough. Go find a good one if we're not good for you. Go find a good church that teaches the Bible and make church a priority. Put it on your calendar. Don't flip the coin on Sunday morning of whether you're going to church or not. That's incongruent with growing as a disciple. The Lord and Savior Jesus, the Bible tells us in Luke, made it a habit of going to the corporate worship service of his community every week. The phrase it uses as was his custom. Where does the value of church show up? Where does Jesus' value of prayer show up on your monthly calendar? If you had a month at a glance, where does prayer show up? And if it doesn't, listen, you can beat yourself up. You can be mad at me for saying this to you. All that's counterproductive. Pull out a pen. If you don't have a calendar, get a calendar and write it down. 15 minutes, Monday through Friday. So I'm going to do my prayer time. Where does Jesus' value of Scripture show up on your monthly schedule? Where does Jesus' value of marriage, time together with your spouse, show up on your calendar? Where does the value that Jesus has for training up children, training up children, we call that parenting, but really I think parenting is an elusive term. Our goal is to train up children in an environment of love, where does Jesus' value of training up children show up on your monthly calendar? Where does Jesus' value of serving others show up on your monthly calendar? For me, these are values that are too important to hope I get to them, to allow otherwise good people who have agendas for me fill up my calendar to such an extent that I don't have time to do what's important to me. I, I can't do that. But neither can you. Who do you want to become? You're writing that story right now, and your calendar is your number one friend to help you become who you want 
to become. This, is be, this will be one of the most spiritual and holy and God-honoring activities you could ever do to ask yourself, who do you want to become? And does my calendar reflect of God-first priority? That's my heart for you. I don't need anything from you with this. That is my heart for you. Your marriage will be better. Your parenting will be better. Your legacy will be better. Your impact will be better. Your churching will be better. Your small group would be better. Everything will be better. If you seek first God's kingdom in your calendar, the Bible tells us that God will add all the other important stuff to you if you seek him first. Why don't you grab out your connect card and let's actually take a step in the direction of the things that we're talking about right here. So it may not seem like it, but at the core of this message is the desire for you to have a vibrant, intimate relationship with God and the people he's put in your life. And if you don't yet have one with Jesus, I want to give you a chance to change that in a very, like right now, in a moment. So next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. The Bible says if you'll admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, you can trust the work that Jesus has done on the cross and in his resurrection. And that trust you have, the faith you put in the work Jesus has done, that can save your soul. And I'd ask you to take your pen if you're feeling moved in that direction to, to trust Jesus and not acknowledge your need of a Savior. I'd ask you to take your pen and just check next step A. And in a moment when the offering buckets come around, you just put the card in there. And we'll follow up with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. We have a baptism service coming up in a few weeks. And there's some folks who have incredible stories of life change and commitment to God and God's commitment to them. And if you'd like to have questions answered about baptism or get baptized, just check the box. The next step C is all about our small groups. There's the catalog that was on your seat. This is one of those things that you'll have to put on your calendar. A healthy small group is an amazing catalyst for life growth and change. An amazing community of friends that can be built in a healthy small group. And so if you'd like to do that, you just take the number from the catalog and transfer it to next step C. And our team will follow up with you this week. But you are making a commitment of time. That time won't be wasted as you get together in relationships and look at God's word together and receive prayer and encouragement. Next step D is send me a link for the grow experiences. You heard Melissa talking about that in the, in the video a little bit earlier about these experiences that we're providing. There's four of them. The first one that's being offered tonight, step one, is about membership in our church. Step two is about self-leadership, leading yourself and and uh, leading in the capacity that God's called you to lead. And we'll give you some biblical training on that. All you have to do is sign up for it instead of just show up because there's a meal involved, so you got to sign up. But if you check the box, we'll get right on that and get you signed up. In fact, we'll give you the calendar for the whole rest of the year of these grow experiences that we have. Or next step, E says, this week I'll rewrite my schedule. I'll write my schedule to reflect the values Jesus calls me to to build into my life. What I'm asking you literally to do and we'll send you a link to this, is to grab a three-month calendar, a month at a glance, maybe three pages, and begin to ask the question, if I were to intentionally fill in these blocks, what would a God-first calendar look like? Where does my 15 minutes show up? 
where does my time for my marriage show up? Where does my engagement of the spiritual disciplines God's called me to, where do they show up? And if you'll check this box, I'll send you a calendar. You can start working on that. So would you do this right now? Would you go ahead and take your step and maybe put that card in one hand? And if you call this church home, I'd ask you in your other hand to begin to get together the gifts and the offering that you want to give back to God through this church to help the ministry happen. So there's some folks who are going to come forward and receive the, uh, the offering uh, for us right now. And you'll just put your connect card in there and you'll also put in your gift that you want to give. And I've got to give you some incredible news that has stoked the fire of every staff person this week. Uh, last Sunday, we had over 900 people on campus. About 956 or seven showed up on campus. That's a conservative count. And that's really cool. That's awesome. Thanks for inviting your friends. It was a great day. We celebrated our birthday and looked forward to what God wanted us to do. But there was one number that grabbed my attention more than anything else. It wasn't the 70 or so first-time guests that we had. Loved it. That wasn't it. It wasn't that we had a decent offering. That always makes me feel good because I like to meet the budget. But that wasn't it. We had six first-time guests. Think about this. Six first-time guests. Check Next Step A last week. Six people, their first time with us. Yeah, that's right. God's good. All we did was get ready for him and prayed, served. God's spirit showed up and changed the trajectory of their eternity. That blows me away. And that happened very mechanically because you were faithful to serve, you give, you make this church happen. And when you do that, God has this remarkable tendency to show up and change people's lives. Thank you. Thank you. Your giving makes a difference. Let's pray about our steps and our giving. Then we'll go out and rewrite our schedules this week. Pray with me. Father, I want to thank you that you're in the habit of regularly surprising me in the middle of an otherwise mundane kind of exercise that you're very present in my life. And I, I ask, Father, that today you would impress upon your servants, your daughters, your sons today, their need to look at their calendar and ask, who am I becoming? Who do I want to become? And what would a God-first calendar look like in my life? Father, let us redeem the time. Let us act as wise and not foolish. Let us not be blown with every wind and wave, but instead, God, let us set the anchors on the values that we want you to accomplish in our lives, the ones that you're calling us towards, and let us give the time it deserves. Father, I pray that rather than feeling condemnation today, that people would see a path forward. They'd be given a tool, they'd grab it, they'd use it. Lord, I pray for those men and women in the room that are saying, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I have nothing to bring, but I accept the work that you've done to save my soul and put me in a relationship with my heavenly Father. Father, would you help us to make time for the work that you're doing? Thank you, Lord, for the folks that gave time, energy, and money over the last several years of this church. Thank you for the six souls that were redeemed into your kingdom last Sunday. We pray for more. 
Give us more, Lord, of what you want to do, and we'll be faithful. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen. Amen.